You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster this rainy Tuesday, your daily guide to British politics here. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. And today, well, the advisers are meeting to consider the lockdown because that's really the issue of the week, possibly the issue of this year. At what point does the lockdown get even marginally lifted? Well, they're drawing up options today. The virus deaths from Monday in hospitals fell to their lowest daily for a month, but the added on deaths from care homes have pushed that total right up. Uh, England and Wales has pushed the overall numbers of people dying, in fact, to a record high. And meanwhile, the PPE saga continues. More protective equipment for the NHS has been flown into Britain from China. But according to a BBC investigation, the government failed to buy crucial protective equipment to cope with a pandemic of this sort. Uh, Panorama found vital items were left out of the stockpile when they were set up in 2009 and that the government subsequently ignored a warning from its own advisers to buy missing equipment. Well, let's chew over some of this with Bell Ribera Adi, who's Labour MP for Streatham. Welcome to the programme, Bell. Thanks for being with us. Um, first of all, let, let's focus on the whole issue about the lockdown, because it is key at the moment, the extent to which it can be carried on for how long and how it will be lifted. Is this the right moment to consider all those issues? Um, I do think that we eventually need to have a plan. Um, as to what we're going to do when we're lifting the lockdown. I think, if anything, the coronavirus has shown us that uh, not planning for for the unknown is the absolute worst thing you can do. Now, we know we know what the situation we're in right now. We have to know what we're going to do to get out of it. That doesn't mean it should be the focus. However, there are many, many different um, you know arms of government. There are many, many different departments. Uh, whilst one is, is focusing on continuing to challenging challenge the coronavirus others should be focusing on setting out a coherent plan as to how we work ourselves out of the lockdown it's it's an uncertainty we don't know what's going to happen when we do uh, that you know there's not necessarily enough evidence from other countries across the world in terms of what's the best practice we're we're walking into this not knowing very much so we have to plan we have to have contingency plans so at this stage given what we know what would you envisage an exit strategy looking like 
Well, that, that, that's just it. I mean, it's definitely something that would have to be gradual. Um, um, I, I don't believe that we'd necessarily, uh, you know, lift everything all at once. But it, it's about looking at the, the evidence we do have in terms of what's happening in, in different sectors or in different areas. Of, in different areas, so example, for example, we may be more free with public transport because people are getting to work. But what are we going to do in terms of that? Some countries have actually put on more public transport to allow for better social distancing, whereas other countries have decreased the level of um, public transport to just because there are less workers and to dissuade people from getting on. There, there are different ways that people will look at, at doing it. We just need to have one that works for the UK and, and actually is based on what's been happening over the past few weeks. We've seen how the lockdown um, is going. Uh, we've seen how it went when people weren't, weren't really enforcing it and it wasn't really clear what people should do. So if there's anything that we've learned, it's that when we were coming out, when we are coming out of it, we need to be very, very clear about what we want the public to do. Now, one of the key things in considering how soon to come out of the lockdown is knowing the extent of the virus and therefore testing is absolutely key. And if uh, though Matt Hancock, as you know, the, the health secretary, has pinned his colours to the mask, he said that there will be 100,000 tests a day by the end of this month, and that is about 48 hours from now. So... If he misses it, and I mean, I have to say, he could, should he resign? Well, um, the resignation of, of, of ministers is something that's usually discussed a, a lot closer to the time that they fail. Um, but what I would say is that the whole issue of, of testing has been a complete uh, disgrace. I, I can't understand why in a country like the UK, where actually we found that three companies based in the UK were making these tests and actually didn't receive any orders from the NHS, so we're shipping them to other countries. Why in a country like ours we weren't rolling out mass testing sooner? I've heard some horrible stories about testing and people going to these testing centres being made to wait for ages. And, and actually some of these we're hearing from other NHS workers, as well as hearing from NHS workers previously where they weren't being tested. The, the lack of testing has been a complete scandal. Um, you know, we have been promised to, to that we must reach this 100, that we're going to reach this 100,000 mark. I actually don't believe that we're going to do it. Part of the reason for that is, you know, this government and actually most of the government, every form of Tory government since 2010 has been obsessed with privatisation. They've outsourced how we um, procure all of these things. And that's led to a situation where we're getting things from other countries, where we've wasted a lot of money. I mean, I heard that we spent £60 million on tests that don't even work when tests are being produced right here in the UK. It, it's nothing. So, so, so I think there will be a lot of pressure um, on, on, on the Secretary of State for Health in, in a couple of days, um, and, and pe people will be extremely angry because not testing people has you know, taken us down a road where people don't know if they have it, um, you know, all of these precarious work situations that people are in. I mean, that if people feel a bit run down or maybe if they've just lost their sense of taste or smell, they might think it's something else. They've gone on to work and they've probably passed it on to somebody else. Thousands of people have died. It's just not good enough. So what do we do in this situation then? Do we press on with some sort of large scale contract tracing operation? We had a WHO spokesperson speaking last night saying that what you've got to do is test everybody who is suspected to have contracted COVID-19. Yeah, I think, I think that's the absolute right thing to do. Um, it, it's, it's now going to take us longer, given that we, we stopped mass testing at some point, testing in the community. 
um, as they called it. It is going to take us longer, but it's not impossible. We can we can do it, and it definitely will help stop the spread of the virus. So we just need to get on with it, really. Okay, uh, but just give us a sense what it feels like where you are, because inevitably in all these things we're all slightly confined to our areas, and you have a constituency there in London. Uh, are people obeying still the restrictions of the lockdown in the way they were a week or two ago? Because certainly what I see around where I am, uh, and what many other people say, is it's beginning to well fall apart slightly. Um, I, I, you know, I, I agree. I see what you mean. Uh, when I when I've gone out of my house, maybe to to the shops, you see a situation which doesn't look too different from, let's say, say an early Saturday morning, which is probably not what was expected from a lockdown. But I also think it's because things haven't been very clear. When you look at the lockdown in other countries, because there's been a lot of clarity on what people should and shouldn't do and actually there's been a lot of support in terms of what they get whilst they're at home you know people maybe haven't felt the need to go out as much uh, in the uk there was a lot of confusion remember how long it took us to close down uh bars and and some some restaurants uh that, that but bell the government guidance is very clear stay at home is is, is the line they're running with that it doesn't get clearer than that surely i mean i mean stay at home but stay at home but you can do this Stay at home, but you can do that. Stay. At, I mean, it, there's, there's, there are too many variations on what can happen. So you're asking people, you're, well, you're telling people you you and certain key workers, certain certain areas of work, people are still going into, which some wouldn't think necessarily was key work. I saw someone, um, not in my own constituency, I think constituency, I think just the one over, uh, where somebody went to a shop to buy something, but the, the the owner of the shop actually put out a little table outside for them so they could have a quick coffee which I thought was the most bizarre thing ever, given that we are meant to be in lockdown. And obviously the police are working very hard. Um, they're, they're breaking up parties, they're breaking up barbecues, although I haven't heard so many of those more recently. But as, as the weather gets warmer, people are going to be more relaxed about all of this. And I, think, I do think we just need to be clear. I mean, stay at home with caveats is an issue. Okay. Well, I mean, moving on to something completely different and almost, I guess, irrelevant, but it does stick in some people's craws a bit. At this time of great national crisis, your party, the Labour Party, seems to be turning in on itself again in the background of this uh, investigation into this leaked report. Uh, It seems at a point almost absurd uh, to do this when there are so many bigger issues, and yet your new leader seems intent on getting to the bottom of it. I mean, I think it definitely is important for us to get to the bottom of it. What I would say is that, you know, just as I I said with the government, it is not possible for every single person um, to be doing one thing. Uh, And and yes, the coronavirus crisis is absolutely the most important thing, but there are others who may not necessarily be working on this. That can actually carry out other functions. And one of those should definitely be to look into what's happened with this, this Labour leak. Um, it, it's very, very important to us that our party stays united and actually that our party remains a force for good and we can't do that whilst there are questions hanging over certain people's actions. Bell, very quickly, Shadow Environment Minister Lloyd Russell Moyle, Sunday Times, uh, uh, sorry, the Mail on Sunday, saying that he's claimed Conservatives have conspired to murder Brits. He's vowing to rout out Tories in his constituency. Does he have to step down for this? No, I don't believe that Lloyd Rossmore has to step down. Um, I, I, I'm looking at what he said. He said those words within a speech, and I, I don't think 
that um, people piling in on him have really taken it into context. It, mm. No one's asked him to step down. I doubt he will be asked to step down. Um, and he, Neil Cole says a colleague he should. And he, oh, well, uh, nobody who has the power to ask him to step down has asked him to step down. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And we start with what some of today's papers are saying about the new details on what a partial lifting of the lockdown might look like. The Times says shops selling non-essential items would be allowed to reopen if they could keep customers two metres apart obviously, but then people could also be allowed to mix with a wider group of friends and family under an expanded definition of a household. So all these people you've been seeing on Zoom could be coming a whole lot closer. And the sports like the Premier League are likely to be allowed to resume behind closed doors. The Telegraph adds that garden centres could reopen within a fortnight and local rubbish tips and recycling centres as early as this weekend, citing draft guidance submitted to Downing Street. Roger, how tragic is it that I'm most excited about the rubbish tips? I've got so much recycling to get rid of. Oh, I can imagine. No, I, I, what, what, what excites me is this thought of choosing 10 or so people uh, that one could apparently decide one can uh, be with or alongside. And you think, hmm, it's like my going to be a social divider, friends. isn't it? It really is. It's going to make and break a lot of friendships. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, of course, the fight against the virus goes on and the people in the front line, who, of course, have been just uh, honoured with a moment's silence, a minute's silence today, the son of an NHS doctor who died with the virus has asked the health secretary, Matt Hancock, to make a public apology for mistakes in the government's response. Speaking to the BBC, Intisar Chowdhury asked the health secretary to use the government's daily press briefing to say sorry for the delays in getting protective kit to the medics. His father has warned about a lack of protection before he died of COVID-19 symptoms. And then the government is setting aside £3.1 million for services helping children who experience domestic abuse during the coronavirus epidemic. Safeguarding Minister Victoria Atkins says the funding will be given to councils, charities and police and crime commissioners in England and Wales. For many people, they think if they haven't experienced it themselves, they perhaps think that domestic abuse is restricted to physical violence. But sadly, we know that it is not, and it can take many forms, including economic, sexual and emotional abuse. And so this bill sets that down very clearly in law. And then Labour has also put forward a plan for a fund of £75 million for domestic abuse services as part of charity funding. It comes amid evidence of rising domestic abuse during the coronavirus lockdown. And the number of prisoners infected with the virus may be up to six times the published figure. Public Health England says it's found 1,783 possible or probable cases on top of the 304 confirmed infections in prisons in England and Wales. They said the significant threat levels remained in the jails, although there have been no explosive outbreaks so far. The PHE report said access to testing for prisoners has been limited and variable. And that, of course, does bring 
human rights very much into the focus. The people in the prisons, of course, have no real choice about who they associate with or how. And the extent and duration of the lockdown is front and centre of the political debate here in the UK this week. Part of the argument for easing it sooner rather than later is, of course, economic, the damage it's doing to business. But there is another question. Are human rights being impeded? And where do necessary restrictions for public safety shade into oppressive regulations that constrain our basic liberties. Well, joining us now is Ben Ward, Acting Director of Human Rights Watch UK. Ben, thanks for being with us. Just can I put that question to you first? Where do you see the balance lying between basic human rights to walk where we want, meet who we want, etc., against public safety in a crisis like this? Thanks. Thanks, Roger. Yes, I mean, I I don't. I don't think it's necessarily helpful to see it as a as a choice. Um, when we think about the human rights that are engaged in a pandemic, we have to think about the right to health. We have to think about, um, you know, as well as uh, uh, people's freedom to move around. And so, when the authorities are looking at the kinds of restrictions that need to be imposed um, for the sake of public health. They're also looking at, at protecting people's human rights. You know, that, that, that's also true when we're thinking about protective equipment for NHS workers or care workers. That's a human rights issue too. So, um, indeed, for the older people who face health risks, um, if, uh, if, if lockdown restrictions are lifted too soon, that's also a human rights. So I'm not sure it's helpful to sort of set people's ability to move around freely uh, on the one hand, against um, uh, public health on the other, and say that one is kind of about restricting our human rights, whereas the other is about health. They're, they're really both about uh, protecting different kinds of rights. So do you think that the Coronavirus Act uh, d- did that fairly, bearing in mind it was rushed through in record time, given the circumstances? I think one of the key issues with the, with the coronavirus uh, legislation um, it is going to be how uh, Parliament is able to scrutinise the impact of it on people's rights. I mean, two, two of the big concerns that we identified in the legislation, um, or potential concerns, are that it weakens protections against detention for people with mental health issues, and it also weakens safeguards in the social care system. Now, it may be that those restrictions, that, that those, those um uh, uh, changes would, were necessary given the, the, the public health emergency. But I think when Parliament comes to review the legislation, as it does sort of periodically, it'll be very important for them to look at how those changes have actually affected people's rights in practice. And I suppose the other issue in all this is the ability of Parliament to oversee this, because we have a Parliament at the moment that is to some extent hobbled by the nature of what's going on. I mean, do you think that the system of checks and balances is and can work effectively? Yes, I mean, I was very, I was very pleased to see um, that, that Parliament has, you know, that the parliamentary authorities, the Speaker, um, ha- has found ways creatively to enable Parliament to sit you know, for, par- for, for Prime Minister's questions to happen with some people in the chamber and some people calling in. I think it is really important that Parliament is able to provide the kind of scrutiny of the government's actions 
you know, that it does in our in our constitution. And the, the other thing to say about Parliament is actually that the parliamentary committees, like the Health Committee, uh, the Home Affairs Committee, you know, Human Rights Committee, um, even during the recess, were starting to have virtual hearings to, you know, to to invite the government ministers and other other experts to come and present. And the um, the, the, the Health Committee actually had a very good hearing where they brought together. Um, the heads of some of the other committees to scrutinise and, and question the, the approach of the government. They had the health secretary there, you know, asking some very tough questions, and that's really, really important. I've got to ask you about prisoners. We we mentioned them briefly before coming to you. I mean, these are clearly people who are in a very closely confined space. Are they being put at risk here? I mean... The, that, that, that's certainly an issue that, that we, we're seeing around the world, that um, uh, people who are in institutions and, and, and prisoners and also people who are in immigration detention um, are at very serious risk of, of contracting uh, COVID-19. And that also goes well for the staff who work in those institutions. So you know, it does require... Um, uh, attention from the authorities, and one of the one of the things that we've called for is for the authorities to look particularly at whether there are people who don't need to be in detention. So that's that's especially relevant in the immigration detention context. You know, the, the point of detaining people in immigration detention is so they can be deported. Usually, at the moment, it's not possible to deport people. So you should be looking at releasing people from detention on on bail. Um, similarly, for prisoners, if people are on remand waiting to be uh, to go on trial, or if they are, you know, uh, in, in detention on for, for sort of non-violent offences, then the authorities should be looking at um, allowing those people to be released under supervision to, to, to reduce the risk, um, and also making sure that um, you know that they take steps to segregate people, to isolate people who who have symptoms make sure that people are getting tested and also make sure that there is adequate protective equipment for the staff who work in those institutions so they're not being exposed to unnecessary risk. Ben, one of the key issues in in human rights has always been that that groups of people should not be unfairly discriminated against. And a lot of people are saying, well, when this lifting of the lockdown happens, uh, people I know who are in, in, in older age are saying, is there a possibility that we're going to be restricted in ways that young people aren't? We are being told for our safety, but many of them feel aggrieved. They say this is where their human rights are being potentially abused. Would you be concerned if certain groups within society were given more liberty more quickly than others? Yes, I think I think that is an important question, and certainly I think the idea of, for instance, lifting restrictions based solely on the people's age, that's unlikely to be consistent with uh, a, a, you know a, 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 an approach that respects people's human rights and dignity. You know, I think an approach that looks at people's vulnerability arising from underlying health conditions, um, for example, is much more likely to be uh, a, a, a balanced approach that will enjoy kind of public support. That, that, that you know, for, for instance, saying anybody over the age of 70 
um, have to stay at home for 12 weeks, whereas anybody under the age of 70 can now move around freely. That doesn't really make sense and is likely to be discriminatory against older people. Um, but an approach which is based more on people's individual circumstances, I think, is, 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 is going to be much more effective and, and enjoy the support that it actually needs to work. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Success. It's discipline. It's teamwork. It's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel's one of the fastest growing global wealth management and investment banking firms in the industry. Stiefel. It's where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.